to be a mindset in this country today that if you're wealthy, um, people cringe. But what we forget about the business class is they take the risk. They create jobs, security, health care. They take care of their employees, and we should celebrate their genius instead of envy it. So let me welcome Evan Charles, who's the founding and managing principal of Frontier Development and Hospitality, and also joining us again, Gavin Serial, who's the founder of Crypto, and we welcome them both back to the broadcast. Let me, let me, let me start with you, um, Gavin, uh, on, on, on my Zoom. You know, there's always this economic pessimism that exists with inflation, Gary. Why is that? And how do you how do you get people not to become pessimistic uh, about their daily routine as we keep having these different mixes about inflation? We just heard recently the GOP presidential candidates all agree that the Fed chair would be fired if they were if they if they became president of the United States. That sends a very uh, interesting message to the consumer. How do we balance the pessimism with the reality of this economy? Because no matter how many dips it may have taken, it still in perception seems to be very strong. Yeah, I mean, the the I, I don't want to say anything bad in terms of what the Fed is doing. I think they're just using the tools that they have to use. And while you know people may sit there and and uh, just really talk down on uh, Fed Jerome Powell, um, I think that's what they've done for ages. And I don't care if it's been a Republican or a Democrat. And I know that you know I was watching the the Tucker uh, with uh, uh, Trump yesterday on X, where you know he's saying, well, these these pri these inflation numbers were much lower under me but and i'm and i'm no biden fan i want to make that very clear but a lot of that money printing caused the inflation and so they they've had to use the tools that they had accessible to them which you know in a fiat currency system where they can just print unlimited amounts of money uh this is the tool that they use they're either going to print money or they're going to suck the air out of the room and and they're doing that and i think you know in my opinion and again i'm no fan of the biden administration but i think jerome powell has been doing the best that he can do with his available tools what would somebody do differently i don't know i think i think honestly jerome powell's really just taken a a, a page out of uh reaganomics and they're doing exactly what they did back in the uh early 80s and you know in my opinion, and you and I have talked about this outside of the studio, Armstrong, I wouldn't rule the United States out. And I'm I'm a pretty hardcore crypto guy, but you know, these these guys do know what they're doing. They they do know, they understand their fiat currency, but there is a lot of different things this time. But uh, let's see. I mean, so far nothing has really broken so badly uh to where it's it's caused a lot of grief, a lot of unemployment but it may happen who knows but i i think right now the, the 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 optimistic thing is nothing has really broken too bad 
and inflation for the most part has started to come down over the last seven eight months so i guess we're, we're gonna have to see what happens <laughs> no there is one thing when you speak to voters that they all will agree which is of great concern to them and it's the growing cost of living and i think what sometimes is missed in that the impact that it also have on businesses some businesses to the point where they've had to shut down so evan when you think about um the growing cost of living whether it's gas food just just the basics to survive how does one adjust especially if they're not salary increases they don't have that little extra that's coming in they depend on one income and yet prices continue to soar but that salary remains the same what needs to change for both the consumer and the marketplace i mean essentially no 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 no, no. evan evan oh, sorry Sorry, Evan. Um, well, I mean, in the immediate, um, right now, in the immediate, the um, the consumer obviously have to make some some tough decisions from a from an expense standpoint and prioritize um, their expenses if salaries are not increasing and and cost of goods are continuing to go up or so. So that's something that 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 needs to happen on the consumer side, but obviously from a um, on the uh, on the business side, um, you know, entrepreneurship as far as creative ways to continue to spur new um, economic growth through businesses and things of that nature to drive and, and contribute to the GDP. But um, as an entrepreneur, um, I'm feeling that the pain of of increased labor costs and increased cost of goods, um, the inflation also works to our benefit in some degree as well too from a standpoint of higher rates in the hospitality industry that we can charge um, that hopefully can transcend to um, wages and people being able to afford um, you know, the, the, the higher cost of living today. But right now it is, a, uh, it is an issue. David, how should people read the volatile stock market? I mean, Again, what, why is there volatility in the stock market? It's because the Fed essentially keeps playing the interest rate like, uh, like your favorite CD. And, and what they did is they sucked all of the air out of the room. Um, actually, let, let, let's put it this way. Think of it, you're going you know, 80 miles an hour down the highway, and all of a sudden a, a brick wall pops up. That's essentially what happened. The the 80 miles per hour was the 40% of the entire cash supply that we printed during 2020 and 2021. Uh, both, again, Trump and Biden uh, printed massive amounts of money, lowering interest rates down to 0.01%, and then increasing the interest rates to where it stands right now. I think the, the federal rate is at 5.5%. That's a 5,500% roughly increase in interest rates. And so what's that going to do to, to high risk assets? Well, people are going to think much differently about investing in the stock market. And we're seeing that today 
uh, in the stock market right now. Nvidia had smashed, they smashed their uh, the, all the numbers that they were projecting, and uh, and still the stock market is down, and their their stock is only up like one point some percent, which is great for a company like theirs, but in any you know in a in a more healthy environment where there's more liquidity you probably would have seen nvidia go up by five to ten percent and so right now people are on edge because what happens if the fed raises interest rates again well that affects everything in terms of speculative investing such as real estate the stock market all that stuff so you got to really you got to really be paying attention to what the fed is doing and a lot of people got caught off guard because we haven't seen this for 40 years, right? It's like I was stating before, since the Reagan administration. And so if the Fed keeps hiking, most likely the stock market is not gonna uh, keep going up or it's gonna keep yo-yoing up and down and it's gonna really play with your, uh, with your emotions, in my opinion. Evan, let's address healthcare costs and insurance companies when people invest so much and their insurance policy, and then when they finally need their insurance policy to pay for them, uh, the insurer will tell them, well, you don't qualify. Uh, we don't necessarily cover that. What do we do about these looming health care costs in this country, which is having a devastating impact on everyday people's lives? Um, well, I don't want to kind of insert sort of political views or so, um, but I sort of believe in some of the other countries, like Canada, um, and their insurance system or so, where it should be available to all citizens. Um, but, you know, being still our insurance sector um, is in the private sector or so, and there's a lot of different elements that creates the cost of insurance to go up and the, and the coverage to go down. I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's a very serious issue. Um, don't know if I have the exact answer to how to solve for it or so, but it's something that has just grown over time from a standpoint of cost and um, deductibles are a lot higher today. And, 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 and as you said, coverages are, are less. So I just think that um, government and, and, and private sector just need to really come together. Both sides of the aisle just really need to focus on how to bring um, you know, uh, an adequate solution uh, to this issue. Let me, let me stay with you. Um, you know, we all have read the reports where the younger generation don't feel they want to own homes. They want to rent because they don't have the responsibility. I just think that somebody's giving them this guided information because they're going to still pass along all their expenses to you. They're going to get the tax write off and you're going to play, probably pay more in rent per month than you probably pay at a mortgage. I just think there's a lot of financial illiteracy in this country that is not addressed and young people just don't get the right information because one of the first lessons my father ever taught me as a kid, he said, boy, they're not making any more land. Own yourself a piece of America. And the best way to own a piece of America is home ownership. And once you get that home ownership, get yourself an investment property. He said, by the time you're in your 30s and 40s, boy, you're going to be doing pretty good. So Evan, let's tackle the housing market, and is there a housing crash looming? And also, talk to this younger generation, renting versus owning. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of friends that are a little closer to age 
with me that came through the great financial crisis had this mentality as well, the millennials. I know we're on Gen Z today. And their thought pattern was what happened during the great financial crisis caused them to want to rent instead of own. Um, but just as you said, um, Armstrong, that it's just been a misinformation from a financial literacy standpoint. Um, there's nothing like um, owning real estate compared to, to renting. All you're doing is, is, is helping someone else um, live their dreams and creating residual income for someone else. But from a standpoint of, of owning, you get the benefit, obviously, of the appreciation. Um, you get the, uh, the deductions from interest that you pay. Um, and I mean, that's how you, you build wealth. If you look at the number one source of, of wealth in this country for people is in their, is in their homes or so. So not taking advantage of, of, of that opportunity, particularly when the rates were almost at zero over the last eight, nine years or so, was just a great time. I mean, when I first bought my home um, in my mid-20s or so, 8% was, was the interest rate or so. I'm sort of dating myself. But, um, but it's just, it, I cannot imagine how anybody can, can provide guidance to, 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 to rent versus, versus home ownership. I mean, that is the number one way to create wealth in this country. Javier, I know you want to comment on this topic. So go ahead. Yeah. So see, I, I kind of share a, a different opinion. Um, I think that it is about uh, educating people. Uh, but at the same time, you got to realize this. Wall Street is on a tear buying real estate right now. Why? Well, because they're able to go and buy some of these single family homes or apartments and they're able to rent them out for an ROI of anywhere between seven and 15% a year. Now, if I'm, if I'm a betting man, I'd rather do that than invest it in a 10 year T bill that I'm going to be tying my, my, uh, money up and not have any increase in the asset that I'm, that I'm buying, AKA the dollar. And so when you see that Wall Street and their CNBC is projecting that by 2030, 40%, 40% of all single family homes and all apartments are going to be owned by corporations, hedge funds, and institutions. And so this is really pricing out a lot of people from buying that. And that's why this is one of the main reasons that even though interest rates have gone up, that the supply has remained super duper low because Wall Street's just going in and raking this stuff up. In Texas last year alone, they bought 30% of all of the single family homes. And so that's no, that's no number to, to turn a blind eye to. So what I would say is this, there are a lot of projects that are, that are popping up in the crypto world and in the TradFi world where you're able to either fractionalize or tokenize, AKA fractionalize on the blockchain real estate. And I think this is gonna be the way that the Gen Xers and the millennials are probably gonna be buying up real estate in the form of an investment here soon because it is going to be way too expensive to buy real estate in the next few years. And especially with wages not catching up with inflation, uh, I, I see it's it's not quite as simple as just educating people. I think that people need to, wages are we're gonna really have to come up. Otherwise, uh, in my opinion, again, fractional, fractionalization and tokenization is really gonna be the way to go if they want to get their piece of real estate in the US or any other country. You know, but Evan, listen, when, my generation was buying real estate in Washington, D.C. in the 80s. Interest rates were 13%. 13%. So it, it, every decade has its challenges when it comes to this. But is there a reason to tell kids you're not going to be able to afford it? Uh, is that the answer? 
Um, so let me just give you a, a case in point to your point. Um, my mom purchased her home in, in Petworth in D.C. for 50000 in 1980. Her interest rate was 14%. She didn't know any better. In 2004, I refinanced, and I realized that she was paying 14% for, what's that, you know, over 20 years. Oh, wow. Right? Um, but fortunately, today, her home was worth you know, close to $900,000. So all of that appreciation that she gained, and you know, we didn't know that Petworth would be a, 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 a neighborhood that would be gentrified 20-something years ago. But, but look at that story. You know, at the end of the day, you know, my mom is, is retired and she owns her home free and clear and, you know, she's yes, practically a millionaire. Yeah, but wait a minute. You also said something very important. You were able, because you were educated, not saying your mother's not, you were able to look at her mortgage and realize we can refinance this. Absolutely. We can do better. Absolutely. So even still, that's a moment, the financial literacy that people need to educate themselves. Let me, Javan, what is the difference between cryptocurrencies and central bank digital currencies, CBDCs? Well, all cryptocurrencies are programmable money. So CBDCs are programmable money that the government is basically pumping out. And I think that there's just this big fallacy that the government's saying, well, you don't want to be in cryptocurrencies. You want to be in our country-backed or central bank digital currency because, you know, you can trust us. But the problem is, again, if they have the ability to just keep printing money and sucking money out of the equation, uh, there's there's a there's a massive issue with that. And so cryptocurrencies, though, the actual cryptocurrencies, the ones that originally came out, such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, are decentralized currencies. And this means that there is no government intervention. They cannot come and stop the Bitcoin network from working as long as there are Bitcoin miners or nodes along the world. They cannot stop the Ethereum network as long as there are Ethereum nodes around the world processing transactions. Where with CBDCs, they can control that. But, but, then, say, but, how, but how do these CBDCs differ from the traditional fiat currencies? They don't. The only thing is that the processing time is much faster. And that's, again, the fallacy that the government's coming out and saying, well, you know, this is great. This is, this is, uh, they, they basically put lipstick on a pig. And the problem is, is they're, they're going to be able to do the exact same things, which for me, what I'm looking for is, all right, what is that currency backed by? You know, we got rid of that in 1972 with with uh, Nixon going off the gold standard, but there's no, it's not backed by anything. Even though I will say this, the U.S. does still have the largest reserve of gold by a long shot. I mean, they've got the most amount of gold, but it's still not backed. We cannot redeem it for something. And as long as they can just keep printing, and especially now with BRICS coming out with, you know, these, I think four or five new nations, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and a few other uh, that are going towards them, I really see the petrodollar losing its value over the coming years. So uh, I, I'm definitely not a fan of CBDCs. I think it's just a, a, a new iteration of fiat currencies, and I don't think it's going to help anybody. You know, um, Evan, for the last year, or maybe the last two years, the big R word has sort of petrified people. Some say we are in it. Some say we're not. Some say we're going in it. Do you believe that a recession is looming? Um... I guess we've been uh, asking ourselves that question for all of 2023. 
and we've been predicting that that it was it has been looming happy to see um, inflation starting to settle and as an entrepreneur we are just optimi optimistic by nature so in, in deals that we're looking at you know we're, we're sort of anticipating that rates are going to stay flat and hopefully eventually come down um, so I think we've just been on a brink of, 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 of a recession and you know what do I think personally as far as is it looming it does feel that way um, so but again you know we're just hopeful that you know cost kind of just comes in line labor comes in line inflation and um, and we'll be able to go back to normal from a standpoint of doing business are, are you concerned about our national debt absolutely um, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the economy just in, in in general just from from where we are I mean what what happened during um, COVID when the trillions of dollars were printed um, you, you know yes that was a, a band-aid and yes that that helped at that moment but the aftermath of it is what we're experiencing today with the with, with inflation and now you know you know the the significant increase in in interest rates which is in my world has um, curtailed transactions significantly if you speak to all of the brokers um, no one's buying no one's buying hotels today you know transactions are just significantly down because sellers still have expectations of pre-covid pricing and interest rates are a lot higher cost of capital is a lot higher even if you look at the private equity market some of them can now invest in debt and, and, and get a better return in investing in equity. So it's just, it's just creating just a standstill and, and transactions are not happening. And obviously that's, that's going in the, in the wrong direction from a standpoint of GDP growth. Jimmy, would you like to add to that? No, I mean, I, I actually would agree with, uh, with Evan on that. You know, I, I think what, you know, what's the definition of, uh, of a recession to, quarters of uh of declining economy right and so or declining gdp and i you know i'm hoping that the interest rates do stay flat and and start to go down but then you know again inflation kind of is going to rear its ugly head again and i think you know a lot you of people know, don't you, you, i don't i know we're talking about us this inflation but what needs to happen with the us banking system if you could make recommendations Wow, I mean the the U.S. banking system, in my opinion, needs to become a little bit more decentralized, like it used to be uh, before. I think what happens when you standardize things uh, throughout the whole country, it, it's it's a little tough because each region has you know a different situation. Um, you know, there there definitely should probably be a cap on on the amount of time that these banks can put uh their that freeze the money up so like the big thing with you know first republic and svb bank was that they went in and they put the majority of their in their uh, bankers money in the 10-year t-bill at you know to get an extra point you know zero one percent uh which was great because they had billions of dollars but the problem was they locked up all that money for 10 years and they ended up having a major bank run and so they ended up having to sell those bonds at like a 50 percent loss um and so that's that's that was the major issue with those banks and we've got 700 and some banks in the same predicament right now so i think there has to be 
a law or some regulation that comes out that says, hey, look, these guys definitely need to keep their money more liquid and they cannot just keep, you know, trying to go for these long term investments, locking up money, because if somebody wants their money, they need it. And we need let to make me, sure let that me, the let, me, let me interject this before I say goodbye, because I want to give Evan the last word, but it includes both of you. Is it true that the rich will continue to get richer and the poor will become poor? Um, no matter who's in the White House, no matter what the banking system is. And if you had any advice, Evan, for those who see themselves, that Don, would, no matter what happens with the economy, they're going to be impacted by it, and you guys just seem to keep moving along, what advice would you have for those that on the bottom rung of the ladder want to get to a higher rung of the ladder? Because I believe in capitalism. It cannot exist unless people on the bottom rung of that ladder find themselves at the top rung of that ladder eventually? Um, I mean, what I would advise first and foremost is, um, is education. And if you think about it, you know, 1% of the population controls, you know, 99% of, 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 of the finances here. And um, educate yourself by uh, investing and learning from, from these one percenters or so in, in books, in podcasts. And you have to change the way you think because the, the status quo and the way everyone else thinks is the same from a standpoint of just um, being an employee, living check to check and things of that nature. And, and the real answer to creating wealth is when you can have money work for you and you don't have to exchange time for money. So educating yourself on how could you implement and learn how to create residual income in your life. And, and obviously that, 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 that takes some, some element of risk, um, some element of creativity, but education is where it starts. And one thing that you can't teach is ambition and hard work and someone that just creates good habits where you're just gonna remain consistent and you're gonna just pursue um, what it is that you're trying to do. And that's not normal. You have to be abnormal. You have to be unlike everyone else. And you have to think unlike everyone else if you want to be unlike everyone else. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.